Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We're glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, First Baptist Belton. It is great to see you on this cold and rather icy Sunday, but it is nevertheless good to see each and every one of you here this morning. For those of you watching online, and I sure hope there's a lot of you watching online, uh, we are so glad that you're tuning in with us. We're grateful for the technology that allows us, affords us the ability to worship online. So this morning, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about where we are headed as a church. And the way that I want to do that is to first ask you a question. You with me? So here's the question. It might seem like a simple question, but it is a question nonetheless. And that is this. What is your why? What is your why this morning? What is it that motivates you throughout your day? Golly, this is annoying, isn't it? We're going to get this. We're going to get it. Are we good? Okay, so what is your why? Why is it? What is it that motivates you throughout your day? What is it that gets you up out of bed, gets your clothes on, and gets you throughout your day? For, for a lot of us, it could be providing for your family. could be. Wow, that's, that's just... Yeah, so it could be a lot of different things, right? So it could be that, you know, it's providing for your family, uh, whether that's collecting a check and coming home and providing food for your family. Uh, maybe it's, it's like my wife, which is just trying to keep kiddos surviving throughout the day, right? Maybe it's, uh, you know, just trying to grind it out and get to the next thing. And, and maybe even for some of you, it could be school. Uh, right. So you're trying to make the grades that you need to get to get to the next season of school or could be uh, that to get the job that you dreamed of or whatever it may be. There's all different ways and all different reasons for why we do what we do, isn't there? Uh, but this morning, what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to God's answer for why we exist. And it's really simple. And here it is. You ready? God's reason, the reason why you and I exist this morning, the reason why we do everything we do is for one reason and one reason only. And that is to glorify him. That's to glorify him. That's to worship him. And that's to invite others to worship him also. Now, last week, if you were here last week or if you're tuning in with us online last week, Matt did an incredible job as framing up for us how we do that as the First Baptist Church in Belton, Texas, right? He, he said that Jesus is the center of all of that, right? Jesus is the center of our worship. And he talked about how our main mission is to know Jesus intimately, right? Is to serve Jesus passionately, and then it's to share Jesus globally. And that's not only for you and for me, right? Our goal, our mission for this body of people right here is we want to know Jesus intimately, right? We want to serve Jesus passionately and we most certainly want to share Jesus globally. But here's the other thing. We want to invite others to do the same. See, we want to invite the community of, of Belton and Temple and, and the greater Belton County. We want to invite them to know Jesus, don't we? We want to invite them to serve Jesus. We want to invite them to share Jesus globally. That's why you and I exist. And when we do that, we believe that we are glorifying God. Now, this morning, what I want to do is I'm going to take our mission statement a little bit further. We're going to take it a step further as we look into what is the fingerprint of First Baptist Belton. 
So what's the unique fingerprint of First Baptist Belton? Now, I believe I was in maybe first or second grade. It's a long time ago since then, but I think it was first or second grade uh, when our teachers were kind enough to invite police officers in the fire department to, to join us for a special program at, at school. And, and I'll never forget it. I mean, I, as a little boy, there were, there were three things that I wanted to be when I was a little kid. And, and one of those was a fireman, right? The other one was a police officer. And the other one was a, was a, a professional football player. None of which had anything to do with pastoral ministry or preacher. Uh, I don't know how God's sense of humor worked that out, but it, it didn't make the cut when I was in first grade. Um, and so for them to come to the school, man, that was awesome. It was great as, as I got to sit in the captain's chair and toot the horn and, and turn on the siren. There was some power and there was something really, really, really cool about that. And then towards the end of the program, we got to get our fingerprint done. And, and I remember, man, this is a really, really cool thing to get my fingerprint done. And, and I don't know, I think there may have been some ulterior motives to that, especially as the police officer was looking at all the ornery boys in the back row and saying, today is the day where you get your fingerprint done. And, and I don't know if he was thinking, hey, we're going to go ahead and get you in the system just in case. I, I don't, I'm not sure exactly if there were ulterior motives there. But nonetheless, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I remember the police officer talking. He said, listen, um, there is not a single person on the face of this planet who has the same fingerprint as you. Is that not crazy? There are over 7.5 billion people on this earth. Think about that. Seven, my brain does not compute. I am not smart enough to compute 7.5 billion people. And to think that there's not a single person on the entire globe that has the same fingerprint as I do. Now, in the same way, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of churches all over the globe. There's a lot of churches doing a lot of great things all over the globe. But there's none like First Baptist Belton. There's none like us. We have a unique fingerprint. We don't need to be like anybody else. We don't need to be like the popular, most trendy church. We don't we don't need to follow any other sort of model. What we need to do is we need to be who God has called us when God has called us to be what he needs us to be in this community for this community. And in doing so, that's how we're going to glorify God is we're going to be who God has called us to be in our unique identity with our unique fingerprint. And so that being said, here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going in the future. So the next seven weeks, we are going to introduce to you our new series called Identity. As we, again, take a look at this fingerprint. Now, this fingerprint is going to take the frame of seven core values. It's God's number, right? Seven. So we're giving you seven core values. Now, a team has gotten together, has prayed over, come up with these. They've presented them to the elders. And then now, for the first time, we are presenting them to the church uh, on, uh, and just to encourage you on this is where we're headed. This is where we're going. And we're going to commit to these seven core values. And I'm excited to get to bring to you the first one this morning. Now, here's what you need to know, too. I want you to know that there, there's no priority with these. OK, so there's not there's not one that we're prioritizing over the other. They're all important. They're all who we are as the first Baptist church in Belton, Texas. And so the first one is this. We are going to commit. OK. As a church, both individually and collectively, hear that, we are going to commit to pursuing what we are calling undistracted excellence. We're going to be a people 
who are pursuing undistracted excellence in all that we do. Now, before we go into the details of all of that and before we parse out what all that means, here's the way I want to begin. I want to begin with a simple definition of excellence. Okay, it should be up here on the screen so you can follow along with me here. Excellence is this. It is striving to bring God glory by giving our best effort, whether in personal, moral or vocational arenas. Okay, let me repeat that. Excellence is striving to bring God glory by giving our best effort, whether in moral, personal or vocational arenas. To put that simply, it means that as the people of God, we are to give our best effort in everything we do. In everything that you and I do, whether it's we're living, working or we're playing and let's give our best effort. That's what it means to pursue excellence. Now, let me tell you what that means for us. It means that we both individually and collectively. So as we gather together or whether we're scattered across the town, whether individually or corporately, we must do all that we can to eliminate mediocrity from our lives, thereby shifting the spotlight off of us and on to God, because that's the goal, right? The goal is glorifying God. It's not glorifying us. It's not glorifying anything that we do. It's not glorifying our preaching, our worship. It's, it's not glorifying our programs. It's simply glorifying God. And we do that when we are giving our best efforts, our best effort. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to give us a theology, if you're with me here, a theology of excellence. We're going to open up the Bible. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, if we look, as we look at four principles... Four principles this morning of excellence. So again, Genesis chapter one. I wish I could read all of Genesis chapter one, but unfortunately we won't have time because I'm looking at a ticking time clock here that says that I can't do that or else your Sunday school teachers would be upset with me. So we're just going to we're going to walk through Genesis chapter one as God, as we learn of God's creative order by which he creates all of the universe. And so just follow along with me as I kind of give us a summary here. So in chapter one, God creates the universe, the entire cosmos. I want you to think about that. The entire universe, the entire cosmos, God creates it like this. He speaks it into motion. So God brings order out of chaos. He brings light out of darkness. Think of that. He separates the seas from the dry land and then he hangs the moon, the sun and the stars in the sky. He pours forth vegetation on the earth. He fills the depths of the sea with mammals. He fills the land with animals of all different kinds and shapes and sizes with all their unique, unique aspects He initiates color on the earth. Can you imagine walking through the earth as though it was black and white? God initiates color. He makes things beautiful. I love how David describes creation. And in Psalm 8, it's one of my favorite psalms, actually. I I love it so much. In Psalm 8, David says this. He, He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers. I want you to think about that idea of fingers. The moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Think about that. David is describing God as a divine artist. 
And isn't that incredible? He uses the word fingers and hands. And it's as if God had this intentional plan to hang the, the sun and the moon and the stars exactly right where they are, right where they needed to be, all for his glory, for the worship of his name. God is a divine artist. I think when we think about that, I, I think what the Bible w- would tell us is that, that God is not only a divine artist, but he's actually the very first artist, Right. See, everything that we have on this earth, all of our creative ability, all of our innovation, everything that you and I can create on this earth is a mere replica of what God has already created. It's what God has already created. It is a mere shadow of what God has already created. Even the greatest works of humankind are mere shadows in comparison to God's creative work. So that's Genesis chapter one. And then I want you to see how God responds to this work. How does God respond? We know this, right? How does God respond each and every time he creates something? What does he say? Three words. What is What are they? It was good. Choir, I hear I, I heard you. I heard you back there. You're alive. It is good. It was pleasing to his eyes. Another way to think of that would be to say it was excellent. It was excellent. You want to know why? Here's why. Because God is not capable of anything less than excellent. God is not capable of anything less than excellence. God has no mediocrity in him. He is absolutely excellent in all that he says and he does. In creation, we see we see God creating this beautiful masterpiece by which he says is excellent. But then he doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't just stop with physical creation, but rather then God calls to life humankind. In verse 26, I want you to see, I want you to read that with me. Verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every little thing that moves on the earth. So, again, after God creates this beautiful masterpiece of the earth, he then he creates the pinnacle of all creation, humankind. But he doesn't create man just for the sake of man, does he? No, he doesn't. See, God creates man to do one thing, and that is to image him. That's to image him. We are his image bearers. The scriptures say we are his image bearers. Now, after he calls us, his image bearers calls us to life. He then gives the first command of the Bible. And you know what that is? It's not to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What was the first command? The choir is alive. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? Multiply what? God's very own image. See, you and I exist this morning to glorify God by multiplying his image to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. 
In this command, God is commanding his image bearers to multiply his image throughout the earth so that when all of the universe looks at humankind, they will get a glimpse of what God is like. They'll get a glimpse. They'll get a, just, a, just a taste of what God's character and nature is like on this earth. That's what it means to be an image bearer. That you and I would represent God in such a way that when the entire universe, the cosmos, looks at his people, at, his, at his, the pinnacle of his creation, they would see what he is like. But unfortunately, as we keep reading, we see in Genesis chapter 2, we see that God restates the creative order. And then we get to Genesis 3, and then all kind of falls apart there, doesn't it? See, in Genesis 3, what we find is that uh, man rebels against God, and, and one of the major consequences of this fallout, one of the major consequences of sin is that the image of God represented in man is no longer perfect, but it is fractured. The image of God represented in man is now Fractured as the result of sin. And so, yes, while we can still image God's creative order, we can still exercise authority, we can still exercise dominion, and even we can create and we can be innovative, only we don't do it from a perfect place, but rather we do it in an imperfect way. See, rather than reflecting God as we were designed to, we rival Him. Rather than multiplying virtue on the earth, we multiply violence. Right? Rather than multiplying compassion, we, we multiply coercion. By multi, by rather than, than multiplying peace and joy and virtue on this earth, what do we do? We multiply brokenness. See, that's the fallout of man. See, rather than multiplying God's perfect image on this earth, well, well, what we do is we multiply our image on this earth. And that image is broken. It's not right. It's not correct. Which then leads us to point number two. So point number one is that excellence begins at creation. Point number two is that excellence is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in the gospel. And dare I might even say that excellence is transformed in the gospel. Excellence is transformed in the gospel. See, rather than leaving the world as it is, God initiates a restoration plan to make all things new on heaven and on earth. And guess what? He begins with his people. He begins with you and with me. God didn't leave us where we are in that broken, fractured image, but rather he comes to this earth in the person and the work of Jesus. And he begins to, to make all things new, beginning with the recreation, restoration of his image in humankind. John three sixteen through 17, a very, very well-known verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Oh, for God did not send his son into the earth or to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, it's in this salvific work that, that God begins this restoration plan with his people. That's why Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if you are in Christ, the old has passed away and the new has come. Right? He says, therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away. He is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. See, if you're in Christ this morning, God is restoring his fractured image in you and he is making it perfect on our way to glory. That's what it means to be a new creation. 
And so it's there that in Christ that God is restoring his image in his people, thereby creating a new society, a new people group even. That when we operate properly, listen to that, when we operate properly, meaning when we live out the fruit of the spirit, peace, patience, kindness, love, gentleness. Man, when we're demonstrating the very fruit of the spirit, what we are doing, hear this, is we are showing the world what God is like. See, by the power of the Holy Spirit in you and me, when operating properly, when we're demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, both individually and collectively, we are showing a watching world what it looks like, what God truly looks like. We are the representatives. We are the ambassadors of God himself. I think this is what Paul was referring to when he asked the Corinthians. He asked them a great question in 1 Corinthians 6. It's a daunting question, but it's a good one. He says, oh, do you not know? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Think about that. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God, Paul says. And then he goes on. He says, listen, you're not your own for you were bought with a price. Peter says the same thing, doesn't he? Peter says that that we are living stones being built up as the temple of God on earth. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, all we need to do is just go back to the Old Testament. Let's think about what was the purpose of the, the tabernacle? What was the purpose of later on the temple? What was that? What was the purpose of that? It was the dwelling place of God. But see, in Christ, there's no need for a temple. There's no need for a tabernacle because you are that temple. You are that tabernacle. We are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. We are the the temple by which God's presence dwells. And if you remember right, people would go to the temple and it's there where they would interact and that they would worship with God. See, it's you and I, when people interact with us, they ought to get a glimpse of who God is. Of his nature, of his character, of what he is like. Oh, how can we not give our best effort in all that we do? If that's true, and and listen, I believe with all my heart, I believe that the Bible teaches that. If, If that is true, then how in the world can you and I adopt a posture of mediocrity or laziness? How can we not give our best effort in all areas of our life? Listen, we are not working for our salvation. We are working because of our salvation. If someone has given your, his life for you and given you a new start, how then can you not give him all that you have? Oh, how, how can we not give our best effort? I, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. So excellence begins at creation. Excellence is transformed by the gospel it's rooted in the gospel. And then third, excellence is undistracting. It's undistracting. See, in the book of Isaiah, God comes to Isaiah and he tells Isaiah, he says, listen, I am the Lord. That is my name. I am Yahweh. That is my name. Nobody gets that name but me. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Listen, God is saying to Isaiah, listen, there is nobody on this earth who is worthy of worship but me. I'm the only one who is worthy of your worship. I'm the only one who bears the name Yahweh. I am the only one who bears the name capital L-O-R-D. I am it. I'm the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the only one who deserves your worship. 
So it is our job to pursue excellence in such a way that it is it's it's undistracting where it takes the spotlight off of us and all that we do and it places it on God. For the purpose of excellence is it's not perfection. Right? We're not after perfection. God does not desire perfection from you. He doesn't desire perfection for me. He desires faithfulness to glorify him and to invite others to worship his name. That is what God requires of you and, from, and of me. It's moving us out of the way and it's inviting Christ into the spotlight of everything we do in life. To this point, I love what John Piper writes. He says, he says, we will try to sing and play and pray and preach in such a way that people's attention will not be diverted from the substance, meaning the substance, that's Christ, by shoddy ministry, nor by excessive finesse elegance or refinement. He would go on to say that natural undistracting excellence will let the truth and the beauty of God shine through. See, that's the essence of of undistracted excellence, right? That everything we do, whether it's in life or whether it's in ministry, we give it our best effort, not for the purpose of perfection, but so that Christ, the truth and the beauty of Christ might shine through in all that we do. Oh, First Baptist Belton, we need to be a people who demonstrate the truth and the beauty of Christ. Right? Like that's who you and I need to be. We need to be a people who collectively and individually. So whether we come together or whether we're scattered on a on a cold, cold, icy morning, we need to be a people that when the world looks at you and me, they see the truth and the beauty of Christ. You know, I've heard it said, and I think this, I think it originated with John Calvin. Everything else gets attributed to him. So, so we'll throw this into, um, that, 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 that the people of God are the, the theater of God's work on earth. It's kind of this concept that, that the people of God are, are the theater of God on earth. Isn't that an interesting concept? Isn't that an interesting concept when the world looks at us? What do they get to see? They get to see the divine artist behind every playwright that we live. Right? It's a theater. It's a theater of God's work on on, on this earth. This is us. And if this is true, then we ought to live, work, and play in such a way that the world around us forgets that we exist and all that they see is Christ. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Undistracted excellence is about providing people with an encounter, not a production, not an experience, but with an encounter with the living God. When people interact with you, whether that's through social media, whether that's over lunch or at dinner, at your house or at work, or maybe it's at a soccer field or wherever. Do they get a sense of what God is like? Do they have an encounter with the living God because of the way that you talk about others, the way that you love people? Do people get an encounter of the living God? Which leads us to our fourth thing. Excellence is our calling. It's our calling. It begins a creation It's transformed in the gospel. It's undistracting. It places the glory and the worship on God, not ourselves. 
And fourth and finally, it is our calling. Peter gives us a vision for excellence. Second Peter chapter one, verses three through eight. Peter gives us this beautiful vision, captivates us with what it looks like to pursue excellence. He writes this in verse three. He says his power, God's power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for this very reason, make every effort. I love that. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and then steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Peter is casting that vision of at once you, you, you were apart from Christ, but now you're in Christ. And God has initiated in you this, this restoration plan that begins with the people of God to restore his image. He even says that he's called us to his own glory. He's called us to his own worship, to his own excellence. And then he says that we might become partakers of his divine nature. That through the Holy Spirit, you and I... Once broken, once fragmented, once fractured, has been called back to his excellence, has his image through the power of the Holy Spirit has been restored so that you and I would image God once again on this earth. He has called us back to his divine nature. Therefore, he says, make every effort to give all that you have. To supplement your faith, right? Salvation is by faith and faith alone. Supplement your faith. Supplement your salvation with virtue. Do the best good that you can, Peter is saying. And then virtue with knowledge, man. Pursue the Lord with your mind. And knowledge with self-control. Be disciplined, Peter is saying. And self-control with steadfastness. We must be a faithful people. Whatever task that God gives us, we must be a good steward. We must be faithful with that task. And steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter's casting a vision for what it looks like to pursue excellence in all of our life. And I think this applies to two specific areas in our life, doesn't it? The way that I want to do this is simply this. I'm going to I'm going to try to apply this to what this looks like outside of the church. And then I want to apply this to what it looks like inside the church, because remember, right, we're we're pursuing these both individually and collectively. So we're talking both inside the walls of the church and outside of the walls of the church. And so outside, that means that you and I must be a people who work hard and are diligent in the task that God has given us. We don't work for the man. Right. We work for God. It is God who has purchased our lives. Therefore, we work for him. We are a slave of Christ. Therefore, we work hard. We work hard for him. We give him all that we have and everything that we have. Right. We prize integrity in the workplace and home. We've got to encourage one another to do the same. We've got to prize integrity. We've got to be a people who take the high moral ground. There's no excuses. There's no excuses for that. 
We don't put up with injustice, but we've got to be a people who champion the outcast. Right? We stand on the truth. We forsake corruption always. I think we've got to be a people who demonstrate self-control and faithfulness, virtue to our community by adopting a posture of godliness. Here's what that simply means. We've got to adopt a posture of God-likeness. We've got to commit to the fruit of the Spirit. We've got to commit to submitting our lives over to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. In doing so, God, the world, everybody will look at us and go, wow, that's what God is like. I mean, can you imagine what it would look like for people to actually love, uh, to be joyful in the midst of all the chaos that's happening right now? I mean, my goodness, this week, what is happening? I mean, honestly, if you just sat back and just asked yourself, what in the world is going on, on our, in our country? What in the world is going on? What would it be like for you and for me to take a posture of peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control? What if we really genuinely lived those things? Believe me, I can tell you. In the midst of the world and everything that they're demonstrating right now, they will not be able to say that about Christians. They should never be able to say that about Christians. And God helped that poor man on uh, storming the Capitol with a flag bearing the name of Jesus. That's ridiculous. That is not God-like. We need to be a people who demonstrate what it looks like to be the people of God. And we do that by pursuing excellence in all that we have and all that we are. Now, inside the church, and here's the deal, as, as the people of First Baptist Belton, uh, I'm going to ask that you hold us accountable to this. As a staff, we must prepare We must work hard. We must do the absolute best job we can with what God has called us to do. You need to hold the staff accountable to that. We need to be creative. We need to be innovative. We need to always be growing, always learning, never satisfied with the status quo. We've got to be a people. We've got to be a staff who pursues excellence because if we don't, we can't expect you to. But then here's where you're involved in that. As volunteers, so whether that's being a Sunday school teacher, whether that's being leading in worship, being in the choir, whether that's greeting, we're going to ask that you guys give all that you have. So if you're teaching Sunday school, that means you got a plan. That means you prepare. You never take a Sunday off. Why? Because when people come to your class, they need to see that you've prepared, that you're excited about what God has taught you on uh, throughout the week. You're eager to share with them the excellencies of Christ. We need to be a people who are excellent, even in our Sunday school classrooms as greeters. Listen, we've got to be a people that when when folks show up to our doors, man, they ought to know that we're excited that they're here. We're thrilled to death that in all the things that they could have chosen to spend their time, they chose to come and worship with you and me. And listen, that is a privilege in our day and time. It's a privilege that anybody would want to storm the doors of the church. It's a privilege in our day and time. And so, man, we need to be a people who do all that we can to invite and welcome them into our home. Because this is our home. These walls, this is our home. That means for you in the pews, listen, there's never a time where you're not a greeter. That doesn't mean we get to occupy a pew. That means that each and every Sunday morning we are looking for people. We want to high five, even if that's an air high five, air hug, whatever that looks like. We all need to invite and welcome people into our community of faith. 
That's what excellence looks like in the pew. Man, as worship leaders, man, we need to be a people who rehearse, memorize our music and work hard to eliminate distractions in worship. We got to do all that we can to eliminate distractions so that when people enter these doors, they're not distracted by us, but rather they have a living they have an encounter with the living God. Wow. That each and every Sunday that people aren't coming and they're not distracted by what you and I are doing or what we're not doing. Right. Can you imagine that if a visitor comes to First Baptist Belton and they go and they sit in their car and they're talking with their mom, with their their mom or dad or husband or or wife. And and it's not. Wow. Golly, man, they really that sermon. They really blew that. Or man, golly, the Sunday school. You've got to be kidding me. What if it was? Wow. The God that they worship is incredible. Man, these people work hard because they know who they are and they know where they came from. Wow. What what if that was you and me? What if that was First Baptist Belton? I think it can be. I think it can be. I think it should be. And so I want to close with this this morning. Here's what I want to do. We've come up with a description of what it means to pursue undistracted excellence. And and I want to say that this is even our commitment to one another. So staff to, to people in the pew, right? Our, this this body, this is a family commitment. And here's what I want to do. I want to put that up on the screen if you have it. I hope you have it. There it is. OK, so here's our commitment. I want us to repeat this together. This is our commitment to one another, and it is our commitment to Christ as this is what he has called us into. So I want you to look up here and we're going to read this together. You ready? Here we go. As we seek to glorify God, we strive for excellence in all that we do in order to please him. Therefore, we seek to eliminate unnecessary distractions through creative purposeful and innovative ministry. That's who we are. That's where we're headed. Listen, I could not be more excited to be a part of you. And I hope you're excited to what God is going to do in the future of First Baptist Belton. We've got a lot coming up and we're excited to share all of these things with you. I'm going to pray. We're going to have invitation and then we'll conclude this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are excellent in all that you do and all that you say. Oh, Lord, that you have called us into your excellency, God. You have given us once again a taste of your divine nature so that, Father, we can image you on this earth. Oh, and Lord, let let us take that. Let us not take that for granted, but God, rather, let's take hold of that. And let's run with without growing weary, knowing that we are working for you and not man. Not for one another, not to please anybody, but to please you. Father, that on that day we will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Listen, if if you're in this room and, and, and you're just in a place and you're saying, you know what, I need Jesus. Listen, there's nothing that we would like to do than to start the new year off with inviting you into a relationship with Jesus. So if you're here, if that's you, uh, man, I would invite you to come down the aisle. Um, If you're in your living room, listen, you you can do this just as simply as you can do it here. Uh, All you need to do is simply say, Jesus, I need you. Uh, We'd invite you just to, to shoot us an email or a text this week. We'd love to talk with you more about that, what that looks like, pray with you and see that you come into a personal relationship. Relationship with Jesus. And now for everybody else in this room, here's my here, here's my call to you. Um, and let us be this people. 
right, let us be this people. Let's pursue God with all that we have and with all that we are. And in doing so, let us be a people who image God on this earth, right? That all the community of, of Belton Temple and Greater Bell County would look at us and know exactly what God is like. Let us be those people. So if you want to accept Jesus, you come on down this aisle. I'll meet you down here in just a minute. Are you in need of daily encouragement or want to learn more about First Baptist Belton? Visit our website at fbcbelton.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Follow and like today. Thanks for listening to today's message.